Welcome to Hardy Party of Five and a Half. We have such a cool episode today, but let's talk about villains. I have some of my favorite villains of all time, like Cruella is probably right up there for me, mm, yeah. right? And I don't know, maybe Green Goblin. I, that was like one of the scarier Spider-Mans to me. I mean, he was just so intimidating. Also, the, the creepy metal guy from Terminator. What was that thing called? The T-2000 or something like he that. He was freaky. The he one was, that could... Morph his body and all that. Yes, he unstoppable, and came back yeah. unstoppable. But today we have an even cooler villain than that. Probably one of your favorites. Yeah, Darth Vader. We are talking to Darth Vader today. I can't believe it. So of course this meant Scuda had to do some research. That's right. So I looked up some facts about the original Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. This is back from 1977 when the original movie came out. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. I was born. I did see the movie. <laughs> I saw the movie seven times the first when it came out. Are you serious? I was seven years old and me and my brother went seven times. We I saw it six times. The seventh time it was sold out so we weren't able to go in. I saw it so. once, kind of, because I slept through it. And you slept it. through it, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So Darth Vader, he starts out as Anakin Skywalker mm -hmm. and he is found on Tatooine. Tatooine, sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he is supposed to be, because it, I mean, if you don't know the whole lore of Star Wars, there's Jedis and they, they're force sensitive and the force is something that gives you power that's in the universe. They're like moms. <laughs> yes. They're moms of the universe. <laughs> they have mom power <laughs> and they realize they have it and then they kind of cultivate and train it. Mm -hmm. So they find Anakin, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon find Anakin and they decide he needs to be trained as a Jedi. Well, they think he's going to be the one, like in all these stories, like throughout history, the one that's going to bring chosen. balance. Yeah, the chosen one that brings balance to everything. Mm -hmm. So they think he's going to be that guy. Well, it turns out he ends up going to the dark side because his wife dies and the emperor... You're, like, you're learning lots so of things So does here. this mean their intuition was off? I mean, aren't they supposed to have mom well, sense? Well, you've got to look at the... If you look at the overall story, he... Within the first trilogy, he does end up bringing balance to the Force. Okay. At the very end, but during his lifetime, he's a pretty bad guy. Okay. Pretty evil. All right. So ultimately, he does in a way that they didn't realize he was going to do. Okay. Through Luke Skywalker and his son and all that. So ultimately, he turns to the dark side because his wife dies. And he wants to... He thinks learning the dark arts, he can learn how to bring her back to life. What? So that's his whole goal now, is to bring her back to life. He's not Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're mixing up stories now. Okay. Okay, those are different universes. So, um, when we, we did an Instagram post and we asked people, what makes Darth Vader so scary? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people said the voice. Yeah. And, and you have James Earl Jones to thank, thank for that. Right. So they brought him in to do the voice. And also it's the breathing. Hmm the breathing mechanism that keeps him alive inside the suit. Yeah. And you know how they did the breathing mechanism? How? It's a scuba regulator. Oh, really? And they just put a microphone in it, and they took the breath off of that. Well, that's not so scary. Well, if you put it together with the voice, you have something scary. Hmm. 
And see, that's where I go. What makes him so scary to me is he's part machine and part man. So you don't really know how much of the man is left. Yeah. So to me, that's what makes it scary because the more he becomes a machine, the, the less he cares about anyone around him. So. I think that's true because, I mean, if you look at the villains even I just listed, with the exception of Cruella, who's just nuts crazy. <laughs> well, I guess all villains are. Yeah. The rest of them do have some kind of metal component, like the goblin uh, yeah. is also a metal component. The guy from Terminator also has a like non-human component to them. So that just makes them so like more unpredictable. And then also they seem not just like undestroyable. Well, I think in a modern sense with computers and AI and all that, it probably taps into our fear of technology in general. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. is technology going to take over and we're going to lose our humanness? Right. Yeah. So I think it taps mm -hmm. into that too. Mm -hmm. So um, when George Lucas was creating Star Wars, the first character he came up with was Darth Vader. Hmm. And his suit, his helmet was, his suit was really inspired by Nazi Germany, the Nazi uniforms. Hmm. And then also the helmet was a samurai helmet. Oh, it does look like that. Yeah. And what's funny is he was only supposed to use that in space originally. That was going to be his space helmet when he was out in space. Yeah. And when he was in a ship or in a normal place, he was just not going to have a helmet on. But the helmet looked so cool, they kept it on him. Mm. So the first person that played Darth was David Prowse. And he got in a little trouble when the original series was out. Because, and thank goodness there wasn't social media then. In one of the interviews, he gave away the big reveal in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, no. The whole, I Oops. am your father. <laughs> but it only got out a little bit because without social media and stuff, they kind of squished the story and it didn't get out to wow. a lot of news outlets. This that, whole entire series would have been a huge bust <laughs> right. in today's day. The biggest reveal in movie history. Oh, my gosh. So after that, he and George Lucas had kind of a difficult relationship because George didn't appreciate him doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's a little tidbit from the original. Wow. Um, and this is another note. Star Wars was going to be a G movie, like rated G. Yeah. Until there was a test screening with the screeners in there. And a bunch of kids were crying when Darth Vader came on the screen. <laughs> so they bumped it up to PG. Because at the time, we didn't have PG-13. You were either G, PG, or R. That's funny. So they bumped it up to PG because Darth Vader was so scary. He was so scary. Yeah. <laughs> so um, here's the crazy thing. In the original movie, he's only in the movie for 12 minutes. That is nuts. And he became like... This, this amazing like, villain yeah. just from that. That is so crazy. Well, our interview today is with Darth Vader that is in the new series Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. He gives us a lot of insight to like how, some of the background of like the filming of that, how he had to get into that character. He spent months and months and months getting yes, ready for this. Yes, yes. And so his dedication to this, to this character is like incredible. But not only that, he's really just a fascinating person. He really is. And just to give you a little hint, we didn't ask him about this in the interview, but the first thing he said when he got on was, I hope my inter my voice sounds good for this interview because I've been practicing what's like swallowing, sword swallowing. With, with flaming flame. swords. And yeah. so I and he burnt burned his throat. The inside of my throat yesterday, <laughs> yeah. casually. And now he's just was drinking a lot of water while he was talking to us. His voice sounds totally fine for the interview, and I think he's fine. But he has had a lot of injuries. It's how he's overcome these mentally, physically, emotionally. Like he's such a fascinating guy. So we hope that you love this interview with Darth Vader. So 
Demetrius, we thank you so much for joining Hardy Party Five and a Half. You have such a cool resume, and I can't wait to hit all the high points and all the other points. I mean, Scott, you're so good at just researching everybody. But let's start at the beginning. So when you were two years old, you moved from Ukraine to Washington State. What was mm -hmm. your childhood like? Well, this is going to be kind of crazy, but I actually don't remember most of my childhood. Really? really? Because I've had six concussions. Oh, gosh. And, uh, on my sixth concussion, I had amnesia for a little bit, and then I lost the entire oh. year, and I forgot most of my childhood. Oh, my gosh. That's was about, about seven years ago. Since then, I've been doing a lot of, like, memory, like, really intense memory recovery exercises and different things to get my memory back. And the last couple of years, my memories have been coming back more and more. So now I remember fragments of my childhood. But a few years ago, I remembered absolutely nothing. Oh so I'll, I'll kind of fill in what I remember. Uh, at two years old, I don't remember anything. Yeah. I think uh, at that time, I had a career as an accountant. <laughs> Old accountants, I, I believe, but I, I may be projecting. Uh, no, I don't really remember much. We we moved from uh, we moved to Tacoma, Washington. Uh -huh. So my family lived in Tacoma for five years, and then we moved from Tacoma to Spokane, and then I grew up in Spokane. I lived in Spokane for seventeen years. Oh. Uh, uh, as far as my childhood, I don't remember too much. Uh, I was really into computers, and I was an independent learner, so I, I could learn from books and doing tutorials. Yeah. And and my brother and I used to carve swords out of wood and fight in the backyard. And that's you know, what pushed me here was because I got to live that fantasy, but in real life. Yeah. So it's kind of a circle to do that. Yeah. So when did you know you wanted to have a career in like stunts and acting? Like way, way later in life. Okay. This happened at like 18. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, I was, I went on So You Think You Could Dance oh. and I did terribly. <laughs> And it was aired we on TV. That show too. Yeah. That too. Uh, yeah, and it was aired on TV, and I was humiliated. And oh, wow. yeah, and I, at the time, I had just started breakdancing, so I continued breakdancing with my friends, and we formed a crew. This was immediately after the show, so before it had aired, there was about a six-month window, and we were like, both of us did bad at the, at the audition, and we're like, we're going to get better, and we started dancing every day, and then another person joined in, and another person joined in, and eventually we formed a crew. And we started dancing, and then dancing became my life. So by the time it aired, I had already been breakdancing for about six months. And then a wave of humiliation hit me, and then I continued dancing even harder with yeah. aggression behind it, like, I'm going to show them. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then I fell in love with it, and I fell in love with dancing, and I started teaching gymnastics, and then I started getting into theater, local theater, uh, at the community college. So doing a little bit of theater, a little bit of dancing, I, at a certain point, I was like, I want to find a career with these two passions that I absolutely love. I love performing and I love the physicality of movement and just discovering what my body is capable of. Because yeah. before that, I had no athletic experience. So everything was absolutely new and everything was impossible. So the first time I did a handstand, I was like, oh, my God, I did a handstand. The first time I did a flip, I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know it was possible. And then I was on this journey of never having these experiences as a kid. So everything was novel. Everything was absolutely new. Yeah. And difficult and, and awkward and frustrating. And there's lots of injuries behind it. But when I realized that I could learn something and that I could move, I was like, I want to make a career out of this. And I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, I know the only thing I could think of is stunt work. It was the only thing. At the time, my acting was very rudimentary. I just started acting. I wasn't too confident in it, especially to go to Los Angeles. Yeah. But I knew that I moved really well. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get into stunt work. I'll figure out the industry and gradually I will transition to acting. 
Yeah. That's how. I, and then right when I moved to LA, I got recruited in a circus school, like uh -huh. three weeks in. Yep. And then my life deviated because I was like, well, circus will enhance any kind of movement that I have. And it's a, a deeper understanding of flexibility and movement and everything else. So as I got into circus, I realized that circus was what I was actually looking for. Uh, not okay. because it, it was the perfect fusion of live performance and movement. And also the crew feeling of being part of a breakdance crew. Okay. Yeah. So what, you know, nobody's ever approached me on the street and said, I think you should go to circus school. What were you doing to make, like you said, three weeks in, you got recruited at circus school. What were you doing? This is Los Angeles and weird stuff happens like this. In Los <laughs> One of those weird Los Angeles stories. Yeah. Okay. So I was, I was in a Starbucks um, when, when my brother, it was with my brother and we both moved to Los Angeles together and we were both extremely poor, like extremely, extremely poor. We had no plan. I, I think I came with like a thousand dollars and that thousand dollars and disappeared really quickly with my first month's rent. Sure. Yeah, right. And I slept on a woman's couch and my brother was doing a study abroad program. So we were extremely poor and we wouldn't go anywhere. We would just do the bare essentials, but it was around Christmas time and we got a gift card for Starbucks. We, and we normally don't even go to Starbucks because we're from Washington and it's kind of overrated. Yeah. We agree. And it's also yeah. real expensive. We, yeah. call, we call it four bucks, but now we should call it six bucks because it's six bucks. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I had, I had a gift card and we were both there. And we we're just kind of goofing off in line and a woman tapped me on the back of, the, of my shoulders and said, Hey, I'm a director of a circus school. Um, we're looking for strong men for our school to lift the women. You know, we have a lot of women who sign up, but we need men as well to lift them have you ever considered doing circus? And at the time I didn't, I didn't know what circus was. And I wasn't, I was kind of uncomfortable with the whole thing, not uncomfortable with it, but it was just a weird interaction. You're right. You know? So I put the, the business card in my wallet and I was like, okay, cool. Thank you. And then I forgot about it. And three weeks went by and then I met some girls on the beach in Santa Monica who were doing handstands and I had done breakdancing before, so I could hold freezes really well. Not really well compared to circus, but I could hold like a handstand for about 25, 30 seconds. Okay. And uh, they were shocked that I could hold a handstand. They're like, we should do a handstand photo. So we did a handstand photo and they're like, you know, we're training under this, this a hand balancing teacher at the circus school. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, I need a teacher for handstands. That's amazing. They're like, oh, I think I have a card. They pull out a purse. And they give me the card, and it was the same card. Same oh, card. No. Oh, gosh. What? Yeah. And I pulled the card out of my wallet, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, it's fate. And yeah. the next day, I called, and I started training circus. That is so crazy. <laughs> that is so cool story. Because That's she awesome. even picked you out, like, not even knowing it. you had any talent. You were just yeah, yeah. literally standing You had no head. idea that I had, a, like, yeah. a, a small gymnastics breakdancing background. that had some, a small theater background. I was just a tall person who was goofing off in line at Starbucks. That's so yeah. funny. How tall are you? I'm six, seven. Oh, okay. Well, um, our, our boys are all tall and my uncle's about that tall. So we have a lot of height in our family. I appreciate it. Um, so what was circus training like? Circus training is intense. Circus training is circus is the hardest thing you could do in the world. Really? I'm a little biased. because I'm a circus performer, but yeah, uh, it just, you have to be superhuman. Uh -huh. There's no way around it. Right. And you're doing something that's, that seems physically impossible. And you have to be so good at it that it's easy that you could smile while doing it, while doing 10 shows a week, while sick, while hungover, while whatever, whatever. you still have to be able to perform. So imagine like going to the gym, doing your hardest set, and then at the end of the week, you still have to do your hardest set and thousands of people are watching. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. yeah, so like, the training is very, very intense. I had trained gymnastics before and it wasn't, 
the circus uh, training was at a much higher level than the gymnastics training. Yeah. Um, because you have to be super well-rounded. So everyone is required to train flexibility. So I trained contortion. Um, everyone is required to be strong. Uh, in the beginning, I, I didn't know what discipline I was going to do. So I trained everything. So I was doing aerial rope. I was doing trapeze. I was doing clown. I was doing juggling, uh, acrobatics, partner acrobatics, uh, pretty much everything. Everything there was, I was doing. And I was just, my body was constantly wrecked because I'm also an, an adult, yeah. you know, as I'm doing this. And gradually your body changes with whatever demand you give it. So I started becoming more flexible. You know, my hips opened up. I started getting stronger and eventually just becomes a routine. The training becomes a routine. And at this point, it's now such a part of my life that when I don't train, my body feels weird. Oh, really? Yeah. But, it, but I love, I absolutely love circus. What part did you end up settling? And you said you didn't know what part you were going to. Oh, oh, I ended up settling with, with acrobatics and juggling, but also it, I, I started with hand balancing handstands. Yeah. And that's one of my disciplines. I have eight, eight disciplines in the circus. Oh, okay. Gradually, as I got injured and as I got booked for different parts, I, it, would, it would change how I trained and what I focused on. Yeah. So I had a pretty severe injury, a shoulder injury. I separated my shoulder and I was out for about seven months. And I couldn't do partner acrobatics. I couldn't tumble. I couldn't do handstands. And then I started juggling to do something and to get blood to circulate to my shoulder while I'm juggling something low impact. Um, and then juggling became my main thing in Los Angeles to book work as I was struggling. So I worked as a juggler primarily. <laughs> so I'm an acrobat, I'm a juggler. And then I do, uh, I spin staff, I spin swords and I do Chinese pipe balancing. Oh goodness. Yeah. I've checked out his Instagram and he's got all the videos of him doing these <laughs> doing different things. I did a whole performance art piece for like three months. So like, no, it was like five months. I don't, I don't remember how long. And I shot it all backwards. Oh, it's a whole, okay. three hours long. It's a whole performance art piece uh, of different music, different, co not costumes, but different looks, entire acts. But then no one watched them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because I realized that no one wants to scroll Instagram for three hours. For three right, hours, yeah. yeah. It's got to be a quicker, faster. Yeah, yeah. But I was ambitious because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make a full performance. It gave me something to do. It was fun. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so the most fascinating thing I've heard so far is that there's a handstand trainer, like a person that actually trains. Oh, yeah. Handstand. Yeah, I do that now. I teach handstands now. You do? There you just yeah. okay. Do you feel like you can teach anyone a handstand or is it does it have to be a certain yeah. body? I feel like I could teach anyone a handstand, but uh, some people will have an easier time and some people have a harder time. Yeah. Based, based on flexibility, shoulder mobility, strength, yeah. uh, courage. Well, with your height, did you feel like, because aren't you, you're pretty tall to be doing this kind of stuff, right? I'm like the world's tallest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally, I haven't met anyone yeah. taller than me. Yeah, but I, I think do. circus and gymnastics, you don't think. You think smaller that. little <laughs> yeah. people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it definitely was a lot harder for me. Yeah. Um, and that's what pulled me towards it, because I've always been drawn towards things that were impossible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's easy, I don't want to do it, but if it's impossible and it feels like I can't do it, then that's the only thing I want to do. That's going to push you. That's Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. my thing, what I'm known for being a really, really tall acrobat and like one of my circus disciplines, Rollabola, I'm the world's tallest person who does it. Oh, wow. And, and I'm definitely one of the tallest hand balancers, you know, in the world. There's not a lot of six, seven. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I have a lot of body. I weigh 250 pounds. <laughs> well, yeah, just your center of gravity is so much different than most people that do it. Yeah. And also, I started as an adult, so I didn't have any of the muscle memory. Everything was just oh, yeah. awkward. I just right. crumbled and fell and got injured. 
even if you did have the muscle memory, well, you forgot all that from all the concussions you got. Well, actually, that was the only thing I remembered. That was a crazy thing. Really? When I had, when I lost all my memory, there was a time, I went through a really dark, like eight month period because it wasn't supposed to recover. It was post-concussion syndrome. It was a uh, brain trauma. Essentially, this was the rest of my life. Um, I couldn't hold relationships. I couldn't remember lines. Uh, you know, it was really, it was really hard because I, I, I took, I was in a show and it was in Pippin and then I took a break to recover. But we were doing week by week assessments. And when I came back to the show, I realized I didn't remember any inside joke with any of my castmates. Wow. I had forgotten the show. It had only been like a month and a half or two months. I'd forgotten the huge elements of the show. I forgot the running order. And then I started realizing, I started paying attention and realizing that I was forgetting everything. Wow. And my memory was only lasting about a couple of weeks. I'd have about two weeks of linear memory. And then the rest of it was stored in like the void. And I couldn't tell if it had been 10 years or one month. So if we had a conversation one month ago, and if we had a conversation 10 years ago, it would be stored in the same region of my brain. So it pulled from it. So I would always have fragmented conversations with people where I'd be like, remember last week you said this? And they're like, that was five years ago. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I went through a whole, a whole depression and everything. I really went through a dark place. Um, but in that time, what I realized was the one thing that I had was muscle memory. Mm-hmm. My body always remembered what to do. Okay. My mind wouldn't remember, but my body would remember. Right. So that's what kind of fortified me and had me double down in the circus and in physical training because that was one of the things that I could hold on to. And also, it, it was part of my recovery was constantly stimulating my brain and making it rewire itself. Yeah. So it was, I started training my left hand to match my right. So now I'm full body ambidextrous. But I had to train to activate both hemispheres of the brain to help stimulate recovery. So I was going on like this crazy, reading everything I could read. I was doing psychedelics as well to stimulate brain growth. I, I, meditation, I was learning instruments, learning languages, just everything I could think of. But I would forget everything always. also. So it was like pouring water in a bucket with holes in it. I would constantly just, just dive into any information I find, but I wouldn't retain any of it. Wow. And then years later, what happened was I would just know things from stuff that I'd researched and studied without knowing how I knew them. Mm. I just had the answers and a thin slice. And I started relying more on intuition and more on thin slicing than actual memory recall. Oh, wow. And one of the bizarre things was I could start feeling people's emotions and their energy field next to me. Uh-huh. It, was like, it was like I took away the sense of memory. And in return, my intuition was so heightened because I was hyper-present all the time, analyzing my scenario, because ne- everything was new all the time, yeah. that I could sensing certain people would make me uncomfortable. I could tell when people were lying. I'd have a feeling, you know, so it was, it really had me dive deep into intuition, almost like the force. I started having, like, force-like power uh-huh. because I didn't have memory. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah, that is so crazy. So... Let's fast forward to one of our favorite shows, Face Off. Oh, yeah. You were a model on Face Off. So Face Off is a competition. People uh, do um, all kinds of makeup. And um, one of the things that they create when they make them, they call them something like all the costuming and stuff. The people that build the things that you wear. And you're really good at that type of stuff, like making costumes. But anyways, you were an actor or a model on Face Off. So how did that opportunity become about? We love that show. We watch it. We miss it. I wish we, it was still I know. Around. We miss yeah. it so much. How did you get to do that? 
I don't remember. <laughs> but, but uh, so, you know, who, you know who Doug Jones is. I've heard that name. Yeah. Okay, he was in the Shape of Water. He was the the aquatic creature in the Shape of oh, Water. Oh yeah, yeah, that's he's, right. Yeah. He's, he's a very established. He's uh, I forgot the character he plays. He's in Star Trek right now. Um, he's a very established creature actor. Creature yeah. actor. And I met him also earlier on in my Los Angeles career. And he suggested to me to get into suit acting. Yeah. So he was like kind of my mentor and he suggested I get into suit acting. He said he had a good build, you move well. Um, and so that became my, my focal point was pursuing suit acting. You know, I, I realized earlier on that stunts for me was just a stepping stone. It was just what I could do at the time. Yeah. because i didn't have the other skills so i was doing stunts but in the meantime i was taking workshops on movement on acting on clown so that i could always just pass through it so it's stunts at the beginning but i was always planning on transitioning to suit acting so um somehow i got the opportunity for the for face off I, I don't remember oh i know okay uh a circus director contacted my brother and i to do a circus episode and we were doing a live performance in the circus episode uh, okay. So okay. Yeah. And okay. then uh, afterwards, I came back, I think, two or three more times. But uh, I came back once more as a model. And then afterwards, I had a deal like in my contract that I could, I would only do featured things. So if it was like okay. a small little acting bit or something featured, I would do it. But if it was just general model, I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a really great experience. It was my introduction to, to suit acting and being in prosthetics for long periods yeah. of time. How was that? What's that like sitting in a chair for hours on end, having people put stuff? I would, I feel like I would be claustrophobic about it. I would be like, it, it would probably mess with me. Yeah. A lot of people are, a lot of people are. It's, it's crazy how in the industry you have to have a special mindset to do uh, prosthetics. Yeah. You have to be okay to not be okay. And you probably can't remember how long you've been sitting in the chair. So, you know, you could just. I can remember. I mean, give me some <laughs> Oh basically I, I meditate so i spend most of my time meditating i'm i'm extremely still uh i get lots of compliments for not fidgeting or anything because <laughs> i could just sit still i could close my eyes and i could just be yeah. zen the whole time so I, I, I i enjoy the process now because i've done it so many times i i'm at the point now where i i'm not a fan of doing prosthetics because i've done so many prosthetics yeah I, I i prefer to be in a suit or doing motion capture yeah just because it's less you know because you if if we have a 7 a.m. shoot time, it means I'm called at 1.30 a.m. or at 2 a.m. To before get, the rest. To get yeah. That yeah. is crazy. And then I get through like four hours, five hours of makeup. And then when everyone else just got there and they're fresh, I'm already five hours in, half asleep, oh, sitting wow. in And then begins my day. And then when we finish, I have to do my removal also. So my days were like automatically would become 12 to 17 18 hour days oh, you know yeah. it's it, it's rough it's rough but I, I enjoy the process of playing the character and really having the being under the makeup helps you find the character yeah. it really helps you find the character yeah this is a logistical nightmare for me because i'm over 50 so my thoughts are when do you eat when do you go to the bathroom when do you like from 1 a.m to 7 a.m like i would be like all these things need to be scheduled in my mind oh, no, it's, it's an easy answer you don't don't <laughs> see that's don't a nightmare. Any of those over things, 50 yeah. that's well, for sure a nightmare. Um, yeah sometimes we have uh we have a team we usually have a really like the better your team is the better your experience is going to be mm -hmm. and the team it, sometimes your prosthetics cover your mouth sometimes you can't chew sometimes you can't 
you have fingers so you can't use utensils you have some kind of weird alien hand so sometimes people have to feed you oh, uh, people carry like for me it's one of the funniest things because i'm so large but there's always someone who holds my hand on set and <laughs> always be a tiny woman and she'll walk me through places because i can't see him blind uh the same thing happened uh on for darth vader as well we yeah. had the our first ad catterly would help me walk up the stairs she would hold my hand and help me walk up the stairs. And you have Darth Vader being led by his hand. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't see. And once you're in the full thing, uh, it's like stairs are the bane of my existence. I've fallen down the stairs so many times because so you just can't see. And you have weird feet, weird boots, weird costuming. So you have to have someone walk you up the stairs, lead you around equipment. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, so you mentioned Darth. So let's get Tag. into it. Yeah. He's going to talk to you all about oh, Darth yeah. Vader. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> So what was the casting process like for Obi-Wan and what was it like when you, I mean, this is like the iconic movie villain of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And I know. What was that process like? And man, what was that like when you found out you got that, you got that gig? Okay. So I first heard through the grapevine that they were casting for a large suit that fought with the sword, iconic suit for Star Wars. Yeah. You know, there's there's like, I don't know, maybe six or seven of us in the industry in our size. So I had a few people who were like, hey, just through the grapevine, there's this role coming up. You should look into it if you could find out about it. So I, I immediately started training for it. I started like uh, familiarizing with the content. I started doing some light sword training uh, just casually. And then out of the blue, I got contacted by the stunt coordinator. And it was the same kind of thing. He was like, hey, we're doing, we're doing a show. Uh, it's going to be a suit. He's going to fight with sword. This is the kind of style of sword. I want you to shoot this scene that we have from Rogue One. And I knew who the, what the character was already, but I couldn't say. And he couldn't say yeah. because I'm secretive. Give so the I, in the room. <laughs> yeah, so I, I contacted one of my good friends who has a suit that I fit in. And I got the full suit and I contacted another friend who does VFX and we, I shot an audition tape in costume with VFX in the suit. Oh my gosh. And it was supposed to be like secret. And yeah. I was like, in your face, here it is. <laughs> and, then, and then I got contacted and then nothing happened. Like three weeks, it was holidays and nothing happened. I still continued training sword, but I didn't hear back. And I was like, Ooh, I may have, like kick the hornet's nest yeah <laughs> they have said too much and then i got contacted back for for my first audition but they still hadn't confirmed the role so they're like nondescript role We're, we want you to do the scene and we was over zoom uh yeah. so i did i think two or three auditions on zoom the final one being with the director and with a stunt coordinator and then from there i got invited to go in person to the studio and i tried on one of their suits and they wanted to test uh, do a walking test the most specific thing was a very, the walk was a very, very specific walk. Oh, really? And the reason behind it was like the first, my first big homework assignment was because David Prowse had a very specific walk and also what was established in legends and in the video games is this very graceful floating like entity almost, which yeah. was different from what David Prowse had done. But, you know, over the years, they'd updated it in the video games and the animated series, and they wanted to do a hybrid. They wanted to, to pay homage to David, to David Prowse to do, do it right, but also to update it to what has been established. And that was the walk. 
But the problem was everyone they were testing would have like swagger or like a sway and everything. And the whole idea was this is an absolute master, you know, and especially with, with Anakin becoming Darth Vader and not being a master, the whole mental thing is that I am, I am a master and I'm showing everyone that I'm a master. And the way I show everyone I'm a master is by having absolute control of my body yeah. and my posture and everything. So mm -hmm. that was, that was the homework assignment. We did the test with the walk and I had a knee injury uh, a chronic knee injury. I dislocated my knee a couple times, four times. Uh, and uh, concussions. I mean, I've, I've wrecked my body so much, uh, but I've also healed my body so much from everything. Uh, yeah. So we, we did the walk and I had a slight limp and then I requested a movement coach and then I worked with a movement coach and I, I practiced the walk for three hours a day for the entire year. So I've, I've put in a thousand hours of walking to give you that graceful walk that you see, that very iconic walk. Yeah. And it was really, was that walk. It was different speeds of the walk, different versions of it, different stops and starts, so that when we were on set, whatever Deborah wanted, we could do. You know, so that, that was the most important thing, was to give her exactly what she wanted and to give, right. pay the character justice because we had one chance to do it. Mm -hmm. it, it the, you know, Darth Vader hasn't had that much screen time in the last 40 years. <laughs> you know, was, yeah, if you think about it, even through the original trilogies, he's not in the movies much. Like thirty minutes, I think total. So, I think I think I'm in, I'm in the movie as much or in the TV show as much as he was in the movies. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, for him yes. to be so iconic. So when I booked the role, what happened? That I was really excited for like thirty seconds. <laughs> for thirty seconds, I was super ecstatic. Uh -huh. uh, my roommates and I, we all got donuts. We were super excited, and then it hit me really what I had just done. I had just booked the role for Darth Vader, right? And and then I was like, oh my god, if I mess this up, yeah, no one will forgive me ever yeah. for the rest of my life. <laughs> no one will ever forgive me. Yes. And, there, and this is, and they, it was such a wave of anxiety and I froze for two weeks for two weeks. I was just like, uh, I started reading, reading some of the content. I didn't know how to approach the character. You know, I started doing some of the, the movement stuff, started training swords, started doing the walking, but I didn't, uh, I completely froze and I got a bunch of anxiety. And then I contacted one of my friends who's a, a really big star Wars fan, David Baxter. He's also a producer uh, of Legion. And he, uh, I, I taught, he didn't know the role, but he had played Darth Vader and I had played Darth Vader for a short film. And I wanted to ask him, I was, I was like, you know what? I'm doing this web, web fan movie and I'm yeah. playing Darth Vader, which is why I borrowed your suit to begin with to do the audition. And I was like, I don't know how to approach the character. And I kind of was looking for a starting point. And he leveled down with me. He said, Demetrius, this is your character. Mm. He said, whatever I say is going to negatively influence your character. He's like, the way I play it is based off of me watching the movie and everything else. It sounds like you're going to have your own journey. He's like, you have to find this character yourself. He's like, but what I will do is I will tell you what my experience was. Because I didn't have a cultural starting point for, for Star Wars. Because I was 15 when I watched it first. And I was in, a, in an immigrant, conservative, Russian, Christian, like Slavic bubble. So I wasn't influenced by pop culture whatsoever. And when I watched it at 15, I had no cultural reference of what it was. So it was just a movie that I'd watched, you know, so it, entirely different. Yeah. So he, I, he, what he did was he sat down with me and he explained to me the feeling of watching Star Wars as a kid 
I forgot how, I think he was 13 or 12 when he watched it the first time. So he was yeah. telling me the feeling of it and how culturally there was nothing there sci-fi wise to that level and how the VFX were so new and how scary it was because there was, there was nothing there. The dog fights and everything. He, and once he explained the mood and the feeling of it and really the feel in the presence and the energy of Darth Vader, more so than like the imitating movements or things like that, but really the energy behind behind the character. Right. I was like, okay. And then he sent me off with this blessing. I was like, okay, I, I now understand that I can't mess this up. <laughs> and I have, and really what I need to do is I have to really understand the character. Yeah. So then I, I, I was like, I made a contract with myself. I'm like, I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can for this. And if I mess up and if, if in the end, no one likes it and it's not what people want, I will tell myself that I did my best. Right. There's nothing more that I could do. And that was it. Yeah. And my best is circus best. It's a whole nother level. So for me, that meant I turned down work for five months and I trained 10 hours a day for the role. Wow. Yeah. And I did everything. I studied all the lore. I first broke down Anakin. That's what, how I approached it. I started with Anakin, watched the, 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 the originals, or not the originals, the prequels. Um, and then I studied the character. I read a couple of the books, studied the lore, and I broke down Anakin as a character. And that's, and that's where I started. And I spent, I think, one month on just Anakin, as well as doing my, my, I was doing three hours of sword training. I was doing three hours of walking. I was meditating into rage. I was working with a movement coach. I was doing a lot, but I just broke down Anakin, studied Anakin. And then once I understood Anakin and found the parallels between myself and him as a circus artist, an acrobat, him being an acrobat, uh, growing up very poor as an immigrant, him being a slave and finding these parallels of training. And also I was trained by a circus uh, master in montreal and he uh when i was auditioning for this big circus school the all the other coaches said that i was a liability because i was born with birth defect so i had a twist in my spine wow. and they all said that I had a weak core and i was going to hurt myself and things like that and that i shouldn't be taken into the school and they were saying it in russian but i understand russian yeah and they didn't know that i understood <laughs> it was like they were so brutally honest like, yeah, they're like, yeah, he's kind of worthless. He's not good for circus. He's not strong yeah. enough. He'll just get injured. It's going to be a waste of time. And I'm here listening to everything being like, ooh, ouch. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> he, he lobbied for me to go into the school. He, like, fought for me uh -huh. the same way that happened with Anakin. Yeah. So I found so many parallels that I understood the character. And then I, and I moved, and I had a knee injury, my, my dislocated my knee. So I understood what it felt like to, to move really well and then to lose everything yeah to, to lose my identity as an acrobat to lose my identity as a mover you know so once i understood that and that transition into the suit that gave me and then from there i went further into the character development so i was in the headspace for like eight months wow but the, i was meditating i was doing so many crazy things i was meditating into rage and i was what learning how meditating to rage what do you mean what's that mean so what that means is that you, meditation is a tool Right? You could do anything with meditation. All it really is is you focus your awareness on one point, you relax, and you breathe. Yeah. Right? That's it. So what I was doing was I would find something and I'd fixate on it, and I would hyperventilate, and I would make myself mad and more mad and more mad and more mad until my heart rate would accelerate, until my hands would start trembling, until it felt like I was about to lose control. And then I'd calm myself down out of it. And yeah. the calm down would take about an hour in the beginning because literally it was like almost the point of feeling like you're having a heart attack and your hands are trembling and you're about to explode. But I was in such a turbulent place because I think what I wanted to do was I wanted to be authentic with the character. And when we're on set, I need to be able to, Darth Vader only plays in extremes. 
Yeah. So if every time he's angry, it's like a 15 out of 10. Right. And I had to be able to get there really fast, but also come out of it really fast. Cause in the beginning I was exploding on everybody. Yeah. Wow. Going through my rage sessions, it was really hard to calm down. You know, like if something's bothering you and you have a bad day, well, imagine doing that every day. Yeah. So I was going deeper and deeper into rage. And towards the end of it, I could go really, really far into rage and into darkness and really into the, my own psyche of like the darkest part of my psyche. Yeah. And then I could calm myself out of it faster. But when I finished playing the role, I couldn't shake it because I'd spent so much time in that headspace. So I had a whole brutal, like, three-month journey of trying to shake the character after we finished filming. Like a detox. Yeah. Yeah. Like a spiritual (laughs) detox. Yeah, for sure. You're not helping the actors a lot. Like, when they play someone that's over the top like that, to be able to get back to your normal self is hard to do. Yeah, I had read about it, but I'd never experienced it. I'd never been in the headspace for so long. Normally, it's like I prep for a few weeks. I do the character, I drop it. This one was like, by the time I had gotten to set, it was really like five and a half months in of yeah. just character, of just being in the character, visualizing the character. I was using a nebulizer, you know, that so that I could feel what it's like in a bakta tank. Yeah. Um, I was chain smoking cigars so I could feel what it feels like to, to have my lungs burn to the point yeah. that my lungs burned and then I would sit in the, with the nebulizer to relieve it so oh. I could feel what it feels like to lose everything. Oh, um, right. I microdosing on psilocybin so i could go deeper into rage and feel my emotions deeper so i was really going as far as i mean i was manic i was at the point of yeah. going as far as possible and that's why the character is where it's at right. yeah yeah we, we, i did it right that's crazy i've never talked to anybody thing. that's so like you have so much control over not only your body but also your mind and also your organs i mean like this <laughs> You're making your heart rate. Your your mind is putting you in this place. You have control over all your muscles. Like a lot of people might, well, not even a lot of people. Some people might be good at one of those things, <laughs> but just that awareness that you have of literally all of, all of the consciousness. Well, when I, when I had my concussion, meditation was a huge part of my recovery. Mm-hmm. So uh, at that point I started meditating heavily. And then when I had my knee injury, my knee injury was something that you couldn't rehab. Um, it was a, it was the end of my career. It was my career ending injury. Um, and the doctor told me I would never run again. I would never jump. I would never do Taekwondo again. I would never do acrobatics. And I needed surgery, but it wouldn't fix it because it wasn't my knee. It was a birth defect that I had, it was, it, which was a twist in my spine. So my pelvis was shifted. All my joints were slightly shifted. And he was saying, we're going to put a plate in your knee, but then your, your ankle's going to go and then your hip's going to go. And it's if your body's just going to break. You're at the point now because I was like 28 and I told him, I was like, I don't believe you. Yeah. And then I did, because Western medicine didn't have an answer, I went to Eastern medicine. And I did everything I could possibly think of to recover because it was something that was impossible to recover. Wow. So I got really deep into meditation, into Tai Chi. I started doing rituals all over the world, different ceremonies and rituals. I did ayahuasca. I did a Sundance ceremony in Costa Rica where you, you dance for six to eight hours a day without food or water for four days. Wow! So oh I, I was doing everything to the point where it was fanatical because it was my it was my life. Yeah, acrobatics was my life. Yeah, uh, I couldn't be an action actor anymore. I had to go back to a desk job. I still can't remember lines at the time. Can't remember lines, and now I don't have my body. Yeah, yeah. everything that I've trained for is out the window, and I have to either accept defeat and be a broken person for the rest of my life talking about oh man i would have had it if only if it wasn't for these things yeah. and that wasn't an option for me yeah. and that's when i got into meditation and that's where i built 
the mental fortitude to just go when, when everything was impossible in front of me to just move forward yeah. with conviction. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's really impressive. Yeah. A lot of people, especially younger than us, just don't have that grit and that drive. I mean, a you lot have of to people... lose everything. You have to lose everything. It's yeah. only when you lose absolutely everything and then you still claw yourself out, yeah. then you become proof. Yes. Mm. You know, true. now like nothing, nothing will shake me. Yeah. I know that if I lose, if I lose my mind, I could lose my body. I could lose. Cause in that time I also lost all my money because mm-hmm. I was, I couldn't work. So I was, uh, all my savings went out the window. Yeah. You know, I was like upper middle class and I went to like just struggling, getting yeah. by, trying to heal my body. So I, I went through the darkest, darkest parts of my life. Wow. Um, and after that, when COVID happened and people were freaking out, I was one of the, the people who was a foundation for other people. Mm-hmm. To keep them zen, keep them grounded, everything else, because I had gone through a COVID a few times in my life already. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think being uncomfortable helps us. It helps us grow, and it also, I think, it helps our creativity. Because if you're oh, yeah. uncomfortable, you're not trying to. You're not trying something new if you're not uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Growth requires change and discomfort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If you're if you're comfortable, then you're not growing. Yeah, and you can't be as creative as you could be. Mm-hmm. If you're comfortable and just hanging out, you're not you're not going to a new place. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of being in a new place, what was it like the first time you were in like the official Darth Vader suit? Like, how long did it take you to get suited up for that? Uh, about twenty five minutes. Oh, okay, that's not bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not bad. We had a team of four people, so I had a whole team of dressers who would who would help me suit up, but they'd also have lint rollers constantly lint me, so it would always be pristine. Okay. Um, and then they had fans. They were part of my cooling system. Okay. So they, they were cooling me between each take. Uh, I had a, like a neck fan that shoot air into the helmet. Because also the, the eyes would fog up after about five minutes. Oh, wow. So if we're doing, and we, we uh, Deborah likes to do lawn takes. So we would do lawn takes and you would about 15 minutes in, I'm completely blind. I'm already blind because of the vision, but then completely <laughs> blind. Just fogged up and I can't see anything. I'm just going off of muscle memory. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So what did it feel like once you got in that suit for the first time? After all this hard work to get there? Uh, the first time was interesting because it was, it was, I hadn't broken the suit in and it was very, very, very uncomfortable. Oh, really? It was, uh, the suit had eight layers and one of the layers was a corset that we wore that would restrict our breathing. But it was like this vest that we wore and it was attached to our pants and attached to the mantle. And the reason was because the character was so important that we didn't want any kind of fidgeting, any kind of movement. And if like you do a force power, it pops the shoulder up normally. Yeah. And it, so we, we had it uh, strapped down with like tight uh, resistance bands to oh. my pants in here. So the suit would actually pull you here into the slouch position. Oh, um, yeah. And you'd have to fight it to stay up here. Okay. So it was, uh, we wore it for the first time and that was, it felt power. I mean, it was, it felt powerful because I'm, I'm wearing the iconic Darth Vader suit. Yeah. But in my mind at that moment, what I felt was a discomfort and understanding that this is the next three months, yeah. you know, of, of this. And then we had, we did a rehearsal for about an hour and a half and both myself and my, the stunt double Tom O'Connell, both yeah. of us were starting to feel pain in our back. And, and this was just the first time we wore it. And we're like, wow, this is going to be something. Yeah, you know, we're on for the long run. So then I requested my movement coach to to help with facilitate my warm ups and cool downs to make sure that I wasn't wrecking my body while doing it. And in the, halfway through, I still had back spasms 
from the suit. Yeah. Because it formed such a big knot in my lower back from constantly fighting the resistance yeah. to keep my back But it, it also gave the proper posture for the character because if you didn't have the posture, you would hurt your back. Yeah. But so I think that's a testament to part of your training because I think that's a mental thing too, you know, like figuring out how to put that kind of in its place so then you can perform how you need to perform. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was just another element. And the heat, I mean, the suit itself, the, the lack of movement, I'm really flexible. So when I put on the suit, I lose about probably about 65% of my flexibility. Yeah. So it's like having full range of motion to having no range of motion. And that was part of what helped find the character was understanding that's what Anakin went through as well. well yeah, I was thinking that tension of not being able to move and fighting against the suit helps the tension of the character. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was great for the character. It's terrible for the actor playing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great for the you realized yeah. you said had to fight against the resistance. Oh, yeah, you caught that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I so, didn't even catch that. You mentioned Tom O'Connell, who did the stunt work. Like, he did the fight scenes, right? Yeah. And then Hayden Christensen did the more dramatic acting and all that. Like when the hell yeah. off, I assume. Yeah. So what was it like working with two other guys to bring this character to life like that? I mean, this is, for me, this is a normal thing. So you always work with a team. Yeah, in the circus. You know, it, was, it was really cool. We all had our own individual focuses. Um, I, I really, really wanted to fight. <laughs> I, I was, I really, really wanted to fight. So I was training sword three hours a day. Who doesn't um, want to be in a lightsaber battle? You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, I did one day of, of stunt training with the rest of the people. And they, they're like, be completely honest. How's your knee feeling? And I'm like, well, it's a little agitated. Like, okay, we're pulling the plug. Like you're doing all the performance stuff. You're doing all the walking, you're doing everything else. And if you, if you injure yourself, this investment of you doing, you know, three months of movement training is going to go out the window. Yeah. So then and there they pulled the plug, but I was like, I still want to learn sword because I don't want to finish this project and be like, yeah, I don't know how to fight with sword. I was Darth Vader. Yeah. But I don't know how to lightsaber. Uh, so I trained myself and I trained myself three hours a day. Uh, and I, and I didn't know what styles they're going to do. So I just learned everything. Every, I learned sword spinning. I learned the Japanese style. I learned some Kendo and I was just combining everything that I saw at the gym that I trained at. Anytime, anytime I saw something cool, I would ask someone and I would learn and I would fuse it all together. But I couldn't do any of the fast pivots and jumps and stuff like that without uh, jeopardizing my knee. Yeah. So I did all static like power poses, like lunges and doing cuts and stuff like that. But yeah, I taught myself sword. Uh, Tom O'Connell was, was in a separate group just focusing on the fights. Yeah. Just the fight focus. I don't know for how long, maybe like three months or four months. They just did the training and the, and the creation of the, of the choreography and the rehearsals and everything else. Um, so it, most of the time we were all separate on set because we all had our own things. You wouldn't, Tom and I wouldn't be in the same place unless there was fighting or stunts. Yeah. So most of the performance scenes, I was by myself doing all the, all the, the suit acting. Mm -hmm. And then uh, during the fights, I was only there to overlap. So I was only there to overlap transitioning from my performance to the start of the fight and oh, yeah. then transitioning the end of the fight to the start of my next scene and then sometimes we do some fragments in between to to get some like close-ups of like hero shots yeah. but for the most part it was it was tom and we and even then i wasn't really on set i mean i was on set but i wasn't there present for the for the fighting yeah, yeah. that's crazy so your first scene was the this is like an iconic scene like a, it's like an instant classic. It's when you're going down Mapuzo in the street, 
Yep. So what was it? That's your first scene in the movie, like your first scene in the movie. So, so that was my that whole suit. scenario, like that was. Remember, you were saying like, what does it feel like to be in the suit? That was when I felt my suit moment. Okay. Oh yeah. Because when I had put it on the first time, I was in a rehearsal space with just Tom and with our movement coach, Olga. So uh, the, when I went, went there and I was in the suit, that's when I one, felt the reaction of everyone else. And yeah. then that's when it started hitting me how iconic it was. Because yeah. just being in the suit and walking by people, people would have reactions, authentic reactions. Yeah. You know, and I'm 6'7", so I, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the side, I'm Darth Vader. So... Yeah. Uh, as I'm walking, I could feel it. And then also feeling the joy that it brought so many people. So many people came up to me, you know, it, crew people, extras, stunt people, everyone, you know, just to share their experience with me. And that, that helped me as well. But also feel one interesting thing about the suit is that because of the helmet and how it's constructed, I really can't hear when I'm in the suit and I can't see that well either. Right. And because it's like a fishbowl over your head, the only thing I could hear is the echo of my own breath. <laughs> Which is Darth Vader's. Yeah. Yeah. It really was Darth Vader. As I'm walking, yeah. all I could hear is my own breathing. And I realized how isolating it was to be in the suit and also how powerful it was because it felt like I was in my own universe contained. Right. And everyone else was outside of it. So I was like in this, in my safe zone, in my bubble. And it made me makes you feel extremely powerful and fearless, but also disconnected from everyone else. Yeah. It, like there's everyone else and then there's me. Yeah. In my film, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because for people that haven't seen the scene yet, it's Darth Vader. He's looking for Obi-Wan and he's walking down the street and just randomly like taking out people like villagers, like having <laughs> that have nothing to do with it. Which is partly to get Obi-Wan to come out. Yeah. But you think at the same time maybe he's with with Anakin, you're like he probably is enjoying this too because yeah. you talk about that power he's the power he craves. Yeah, he's messing with people. So, it <laughs> but was also it was to showcase. I mean, it was like a, a transition into into manhood, into adulthood. It was a rite yeah. of passage. You know, it's when he comes back. Obi Wan hasn't seen him for a very long time. Yeah, and now he's come back and he is a master. Yeah. Not only is he a master, he also shows how little he cares. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm completely untouchable. Nothing phases me. Yeah. Nothing yeah. phases me. I could snap a child's neck. Nothing phases me. Yeah. <laughs> that, it was so intense. It was, that was just incredible. It was, the, the, seeing Vader in this is the Vader that you've always wanted to see. Like, they've Thank hinted you. at it in the other movies, but now you're really seeing who this character is. So cool. It wouldn't have been possible without the work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Months and months of work. Yeah. A lot of it was, you can't really pick it up on your first watch, but a lot of it is extreme subtlety. Yeah. It, it, the character is so subtle until he's not. And the subtlety is what really makes it, is the seeing the breathing through the movement, seeing the aggression. There's, there's a lot of very detailed things that you don't pick up, but you'll, you'll pick it up the more times you watch it. Yeah. So it, the the level of subtlety to the character was it was the most subtle character I've ever played, and that was interesting of finding the balance of mastering stillness while still being alive in this in this suit and keeping the character alive while being yeah, still. Yeah, showing that power through that stillness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, Deborah Chow did such a great job of just the oh visuals of Vader, just the flames hitting his helmet in one scene, and just it's it's. It's just amazing artwork, really, if you look at it. Yeah, yeah. Deborah yeah. Chow is incredible. She's, she's my favorite director I've ever worked for. 
Really? Really, yeah. She's a genius. You know, it's, it's, it was really awesome to, to work with her. And also, she, this is such a huge project, right? So she was so busy leading up to it. And she would make time to rehearse with me and when with the voice, the onset voice actor, Dorian Gregory. And she spent, like, I think three or four times rehearsing with me. To, I mean, she's running from studio to studio, location to location. And she'd come by and just spend, give me like an hour and a half to rehearse as I was finding the character. You know, and that was really, really cool because a lot of directors don't have the time and won't make the time. Right. So she, yeah, she was really an incredible director. And also one of those directors where you could ask a question, you could have a conversation with, uh, bounce ideas off of. Yeah, you're working together. You're working together, yeah. Yeah. But also someone who has a very clear vision. Yeah. So the answers were always there. Mm-hmm. And it was, this is why we're doing this. This is how we're doing this. This is the mood that we're feeling. Yeah, she's like an actor's director. Wow, that's awesome. So you mentioned earlier not remembering lines, but didn't you memorize all the lines for Vader? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't remember them now. Yeah. <laughs> is, I, have, I have short-term memory loss. So I, my memory now lasts a few weeks. Or like, if, if I'm memorizing something, it might last a few weeks. If it's memory, linear memory, it might be a few months. You know, right now it's about about six months of memory, but then and then what happens is stuff just disappears. So it's not that I forget everything; is that I'll start it'll start slipping away into the void, yeah. and then it'll become fragmented. But during my process, uh, what I do now is I leave. I, I write really extensive notes. Oh yeah. So I have two notebooks of notes. Every rehearsal, I would I would write down everything so that I could come back and I could reference it. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't really have the memory. But yeah, uh, what I would do is. A few. I, would, I learned the lines, then I forgot the lines, then I learned the lines, then I forgot the lines, and then <laughs> a few days before we were filming the scenes, I would rememorize all the lines yeah. and all the, all the movements and all the beats and everything, so that we could go on set and do it. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say you can't study that too far out. Too far out. No. you can't be learning lines months and months in advance. I mean, I do it months and months in advance, so at least it has some kind of scaffolding. So when I do it, it feels a little bit familiar, but it really oh. didn't. It really was like, oh, I've never read this before. Okay, wasn't there a moment where all three Vaders were on set? Yes, yes, there was. What was that like? What kind of power was going on there on the set? That's crazy. Well, it was crazy because I was, I was normally on my downtime and meditating. So I was in this headspace the whole time. Uh, just like that's what Darth Vader does on his free moments. He's meditating deeper into darkness, trying to heal his body and yeah. become powerful enough to revive Padme. Yeah. Right, that's the main focus. That's his whole thing. So uh, I was meditating to the side, and normally I just stay in my space. And then I heard like chatter. You hear like people whispering. People are excited. And people are like really, really excited. And people are start, starting to crowd to this area. Right. This is this was when Hayden was entering. Yeah. With the group. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I first, and then I was like, "What's going on?" And then, and then I was like, "No, I'm just gonna keep meditating." And then it got louder, and people were getting louder and more excited. You heard some clapping you know, you heard a lot of hush talking and everything. I was like, okay, I'm going to check this out. So I get up and I go and Tom's already there and I'm already there and Hayden's there. (laughs) And it was, it was really, really powerful because we all knew that this was history. Yeah. This was history. This had been 17 years since the last time Hayden wore the suit. Wow. Right. So there was that kind of power, but also, uh, you know, I'm Darth Vader as well, because I, I was playing in all the other suit scenes. So it was feeling me, Hayden, Tom, all three of us were there. All three of us, because the, the, la- the last scene requires the three of us. Yeah. Yeah, so we were, all three of us were there. And yeah. that, was, that was a cool moment. That was also my first day meeting Hayden, because like uh, 
you know, Batman and Bruce Wayne, they can't be in the same room together. <laughs> you know, so we were, all my scenes were scenes in the suit specifically. And all of Tom's scenes were scenes fighting or doing stunts. And this was the first time the three of us were all together. Wow. Yeah, so yeah it was cool. What, the crew, what was the crew's reaction? Like beyond being excited, were they, did you see some like fear in the crew too? Like to see these? I mean, it was, that was such an emotional day for everyone, for so yeah. many emotions. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of, a lot of excitement. You know, we've been waiting for this for years. Yeah. For years and years there was also the fear because this the suit is powerful and people are always intimidated by the suit but to have three of them <laughs> yeah so what's you <laughs> thinking what is obi-wan thinking here with three vaders on the set i, I don't know you'd have to ask him <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> yeah poor obi <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it was it was crazy and also it was interesting because we were all like you you saw i haven't seen the, the show yet but you saw the finale right yeah that was such a dramatic he, we were crying in the crew. Wow. You know, everyone, I mean, it was the stillness in the room. You know how when, when you're watching a performer and they're completely in the moment and you like even slow down your breathing because you don't want to interrupt their performance. Yeah. You know, that stillness where you could hear a pin drop, you could feel the moisture in the air. Yeah. It was that, it was that. That's, it was like the, the entire place was like electricity. Wow. There was, you know, Hayden showed up. We're all excited. There's three Vaders. Everyone is excited. Everyone, like literally, all the crew had rushed in. That's what had brought me too. I, I I snapped out of my meditation to go see what was yeah. going on. Yeah, like I don't know what's going on, but everyone is like freaking out. Something yeah, in the so force cool. was showing you that you that's needed true. to go. Oh, for, sure, for sure, that I had to be there. I had to see it. Yeah. And then once we saw the performance, you know, and for me as well, because the, the parts that I was overlapping. I was in the same headspace too. I was in the character headspace too. So I was feeling everything. Hayden was feeling everything. Tom was feeling everything. The three of us were sharing the same journey. And it was a journey of like, this is the moment. And also leading up to this, this, this day, we had all, everyone was training like crazy. Yeah. That's what I everyone was training. I was training like crazy. Tom was training like crazy. Hayden was training like crazy. So all of us were anticipating this one moment of the finale. Yeah. Uh, showdown and as we're getting closer to it in the script uh everyone could feel the tension building and i could feel attention building in my character because i'm reliving the scenes building up to it so there was so much anxiety and pressure and angst yeah for the you know for all of us yeah, yeah it was a very magic moment it really was a magic acting moment on set that's what i was thinking i was thinking all of you have put in this incredible amount of work and so there's yeah. probably that type of intensity also maybe a reverence towards each other of understanding we have all put in the work and we're all standing here together, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. And it was also, I mean, but also we are all in the headspace of the character. Yeah. And this is in the headspace of the character. This is the final moment to become a master. Yeah. You know, like the character has been thinking about this for 10 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> becoming stronger and stronger to prove to his former master that he has become the master. Yeah. Right? So there's that anticipation, but also, you know how when you're in a scene, you kind of harmonize with someone or when, when you're next to someone, they're feeling some kind of intense emotion. Well, imagine Hayden feeling that emotion, me feeling that emotion and Tom feeling that emotion all at the same time. Yeah. So we're all synced up and we all feel this pressure. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Oh, That's wow. crazy. Okay. That's so cool. you haven't seen it yet. When do you plan on watching it? Uh, I'm going to Japan in a couple of weeks. 
uh-huh. uh, to do the Broadway musical Pippin in J- the, on Japanese Broadway. Yeah. So, um, because I had such a difficult time with dropping the character, I, yeah. I had such a hard time. It, it, I literally had to crawl out of it. it. I was like borderline suicidal at the end of filming. Wow. Like that was the headspace and everything and how far I had gone into character that wow. the time I finished, I didn't want to do reshoots. Yeah. I, I, I had only felt right mentally for like a week. Yeah. <laughs> like finally I like smiled for the first time in a year. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I lived a whole year without serotonin. Wow. You know, so it was like, finally I feel right. And then we had reshoots and I was like, can Tom just do the reshoots? I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to go in that headspace anymore because I, I realized how hard it was to crawl out of it. And it was, it was really w- the aggression and the darkness you know, there's a moment where you don't find happiness in anything. Yeah. And all I want to do is break everything. And all I want to do is fight everybody. And all I want to yeah. do is be aggressive. And all I want to do is put everyone in their place. And uh-huh. that's the, the headspace I was in. And I couldn't stop. Yeah. I didn't know how to stop. I had just been so long there that it was so hard. So when we went to reshoots and I had put on the, the costume, uh, the suit first for the fitting, I was fighting the character because I could instantly feel, you know, because the suit itself is like a trigger. Yeah, because I did a lot of my meditation stuff, but also the suit would help me find the character immediately. Yeah, so I put on the suit and I could feel the character coming back, like clawing back out, and I said, "No, stay down. I don't want to. I don't want to work with you right now." Yeah, and then on the day one of reshoots, I put it on, and then I felt it. And I, the interesting thing was, I put on the suit, and I felt this storm in my solar plex, right? And it was all it was rage. It's not even anger. It's it's beyond anger. It's rage. Uh-huh. And I felt it immediately start brewing. I'm like, "Oh man, here we go." okay, we're coming back here again. This is the last place I want to be yeah. is in darkness again after feeling good, you know? So, and the storm just kept on getting bigger and bigger and I'm getting angrier and more pissed off because you use every little moment. So like the, the how uncomfortable the suit is adds to the anger, adds mm-hmm. to discomfort, you know, uh, a lot of things. So there's, it's just swirling and it's becoming bigger and bigger and there's a huge storm in my chest. Yeah. And like, oh man. And this time, like, I'm just not going to fight it. I'm just going to experience it whatever happens, happens. And then there was this moment where I heard my own voice in my head. And the voice said, I'm a monster. And then I smiled and I realized it was true, but it wasn't the character. It was me. Oh, wow. Because I found the parallels between me and the character and had went into my own darkness to really see who I am. And I understood that I am a monster. Oh, wow. And it went, mm-hmm. and everything fell silent. And I had found the eye of the storm, the eye of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. So I found the void. And then from there, I was able to go in and out of character without, without doing anything. We had made peace because I realized that I was the character. Wow. Beforehand, it was like there's this aggro, dark version, and there's me, and I would... And you've got to go there. Yeah. Back, and what I realized was I was both. Right. That so- even at the darkest level that I got to Darth Vader, where I got it at, was actually me. Yeah. It was my own darkness. And that's, that's what made, made me have peace with the character. So instead of fighting each other, you became... We became one. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're friends with Darth Vader. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, back to that. You, so you haven't seen it, but you don't want to revisit it. Is that what you're saying? You're not going to uh, revisit it? I don't want now because I don't, want, I don't want things that are too triggering. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's you know, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give enough space uh it's it's a bit, in the beginning when episode when episode one came out i wasn't there at all to watch it yeah, for sure. 
I was like, I don't want to relive it because it's just like putting on the suit. I, I don't want to enter that headspace again. Yeah, for sure. and, I, and I also want to watch it and enjoy it, you know? So I figured I'd take some time off and, and it's been nice hearing all the feedback from everyone, mm-hmm. you know, and that's been really good. Cause then now it's me, it's making me excited. Now I'm not thinking about, about the experience and the emotions. I'm actually thinking about the performance. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Uh, in Japan, I'm going to be working with a cast who I've performed with like four years ago. They're all friends of mine. So we're going to all watch it together and it's going to be a beautiful experience. Yeah. Yeah. People It'll be more there. of a celebration make than you just sitting there watching it yeah. yourself. You know? Yeah. 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 Make, make it a celebration and watch it with friends and not in the, not in the room by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> in the dark place. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell you what y'all did was it's, it's brilliant. It really is. I, I've watched each episode twice and I'm going to go back and watch them again. And I'm telling you, y'all, y'all did something great. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Let me yeah. tell you something. He's the, he's, I'm a very harsh critic. He's a harsh I critic. I really you are who I was afraid of. <laughs> That's right. But no, you won't I, ever. He, he yes. should be who you were afraid of, but look, hey, listen, oh, this yeah. is, these are big words. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was amazing stuff. He so knows he knows the character. She knows the process, yeah. and so yeah, that's high praise, big high praise. Yeah, we we bled for this. Like we literally bled for this. Everyone did. Everyone. We knew how important this was for Star Wars, for the Star Wars history, for the canon. You know, this was such. I mean, there's lots of Star Wars projects, but this was a very special project. Right. Yeah. This was the bridge. This was the bridge. Yeah. Between the prequels and the originals. Right. We had one chance to do it. If we didn't do it right, then no one would forgive us. And also, <laughs> it was history. This is, you know, we were making Star Wars history. So all of us had knew the weight of this project and everyone showed up accordingly. Yeah. So yeah. I was going hard, but just as hard as I was going, Tom was going just as hard and Hayden was going just as hard and everyone else was going just as hard. So when, when it just came out, it was a little hurtful because a lot of people were, it immediately got thrashed. You know, a lot of people were immediately tearing it apart. And you're like, you're watching, you read the first chapter of a book. Right, yeah. Give it establishing the characters. It's teaching you who the characters are. Right. And you're like, oh, this is lame. Harry Potter is a wizard. What? <laughs> <laughs> is and you're like literally judging the whole series on the first chapter of a book. Right, yeah. yeah. And, that was, and I was like, give it time. There's just, we, did it. we did a good job. We told a story. Every character has growth. You know, like that was yeah. the main thing. This is a very character-driven story. And Deborah Chow is very adamant about having growth to not make two-dimensional characters every character goes on an individual journey yeah but you have to allow the characters to go on the journey you have to allow them to grow to experience to change to adapt and people were just instantly judging you know on the thing i was like come on guys give it some episodes well, it's like the subtleties, the subtleties are what makes me want to go watch it again, like to view it over and over to see these subtle things that were happening with yeah. each character. You're catching something different each yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we can't thank you enough, Demetrius, but before we go, we want to know um, about how your family is affected being from Ukraine with this horrible war that's going on and how is your family? Well, so this has been one of the heaviest human experiences in my life ever it has been such a it, it was such a shock when it happened um I, and i'm i'm half russian half ukrainian mm-hmm. so I, I i was born in ukraine and my dad is ukrainian and my mom is russian though we lived in ukraine you know and so it feels like two parts of me are fighting each other yeah and also i i don't speak ukrainian i speak russian because that's the common language between everyone in the slavic okay. slavic countries yeah. you know so 
I have always associated myself as Russian only because I didn't know the difference. Right. You know, I, I'm American and I speak Russian. So I was just, and people didn't know where Ukraine was. So I just like, I'm Russian, you know? And when, when it happened, it was such a painful thing because I, for one, I heard my dad cry for the first time. Wow. You know, he, he broke down because his two sisters live in Ukraine. My aunts live in Ukraine, you know, and I had family in Ukraine and I had always, and I had never visited. I, I grew up here and always, I had made a promise to my grandfather. I was going to visit him before he died. And then he died when I was 18 and I never went. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, made, I was like, you know, well, I'll go before I'm 30. And I had, but things would come up and work and projects and injuries and things like that. And you, you just kind of put it off because it was always a place that was going to be there. Right. Right. And then I realized that the Ukraine that was there doesn't exist anymore. Right. So when I go back, I will never experience Ukraine as it was. As it was. Right. You know, and, I, and that was very hurtful. And then, and then realizing that that's where my mind went mm -hmm. when people are suffering and I made it all about me and it was all selfish about, I can't visit there. And then I saw my own uh, psyche almost. And that hurt even more where I'm like, wow, I'm a piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah. and then and then the helplessness of not being able to do anything yeah. i'm just watching people struggle watching people lose their homes understanding that these are regular people and it's as if tanks would roll into los angeles one day and just start bombing everything and yeah. people would soldiers would run in and ran, ransack your house and take everything yeah. and you, there was nothing you could do you know and being so helpless here and watching the resistance as well sparked a fire inside of me because i realized I saw myself for the first time, you know, I have always been this very resilient person that no matter how many times I get knocked down, I always stand up, always facing impossible odds, you know, with my knee, with my, with my, with my brain trauma, with the meditation, I've always been facing impossible odds, but I've, I've always been the only one. Yeah. And then when I saw Ukraine as a country, watching the president, watching the country stand up and I was like, Oh, I am Ukrainian. Yeah. It makes, I see myself, I understand, I understand myself, you know, and that, that was a very powerful moment to have cultural ties because before that I was American, you know, and, and I am still am American, but I'm American, I'm Ukrainian American and that meant something. Yeah. Right. So it, it's, I still go through waves. I, I try to do as much charity and fundraisers as I can and raise awareness. You know, it's a very painful thing because these are humans. Yeah. You know, and also it's painful because I have so many friends in Ukraine who are circus friends, but also in Russia as well. Yeah, and you have both sides that you're yeah, and I trained yeah. under the Russian I trained under Russian Grandmaster. Yeah. And he taught me for free. He's like a father to me. And he lives in Moscow. Right. So I can't hate Russian people. Right. And I can't, you know, so I there's no and a lot of people at this time they would project all their angst and frustration and hate, they projected to the nearest thing around them. So he created all this xenophobia against russian people when the common people had nothing to do with it right, they're not yeah. the ones with tanks or anything else you know it's part of a big machine the same way that people protested vietnam and the people who were protesting vietnam felt the weight of the war and didn't want people to suffer and die and they felt the responsibility of america going to vietnam but they also couldn't do anything right. yeah you know and that's that same kind of feeling in russia mm -hmm. in ukraine so are your aunts okay are they um, um they, they've evacuated okay. i believe we still have one aunt left in zaporozhia yeah um i think i'm not sure but uh they've evacuated to turkey and to israel okay Thousands, yeah but it's i think the aunt that stayed was saying that where am i gonna go 
Yeah. Like if you imagine you had to leave right now and they're like, okay, you're moving to Nebraska. That's it. And then you just show up to Nebraska with whatever you could carry. Yeah. And you don't have money. Except except in Nebraska they speak a different language. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's a different country, a different language with absolutely nothing, zero connections. And to be a refugee means that you're sleeping on the floor in a convention center. Wow. Or sleeping in the bleachers of a of a gym at a high school or wherever people could house you. And yeah. now you're essentially homeless. You're living in a homeless shelter. Right. Nothing. And there's nowhere to go back to. Yeah. Wow. So it's a real crazy experience, both to empathize and to see how fortunate I am to have grown up in America, because if I was there, I'd be killing people right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, wow. yeah, it's a very heavy, heavy experience. Yeah, for sure. Well, our thoughts and prayers are with your family and you and your family as you process and work through that. And, um, we we're just, I'm so impressed with you. I mean, goodness, what? Who gets to do all the things that you do? <laughs> I mean, such a cool thing. And I think just a testament to your drive and your grit, like we said before, and how you've just persevered through so much. And we are so thankful that you just spent so much time with us today, sharing all the ins and outs of Darth Vader and the circus and everything that you've just been a part of. I'm so impressed. And I'm just glad you didn't force choke me. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I shouldn't have said anything. Oh, no. <laughs> No, it's been totally yeah. fascinating. We surely, we thank you so much for your yeah. time. And it's been great. Yes, I know. Awesome he's, conversation. He's going to be on cloud nine. All I really day. am. This has been great. <laughs> I had a blast. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Watching the series. You're going to find more details. So the, the whole, the whole series has Easter eggs and it's very subtle and very smart. If you pay attention to the details, there's a lot of details. Yeah. Yep, I definitely will be watching okay, it again. We'll definitely be yep. doing it over and over. I bet. Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much. Rebecca, who knew that Darth Vader was going to be such a nice, likable, awesome guy? That's right. He really was. I know. And I love his great determination and how he just leans into the impossible to achieve his goals. That's right. I mean, that's something like every generation can take away, right? That's right. Yeah. And this has made me so thirsty. I think I need a drink. Hardy party of five and a half. Over and out. May the force be with you.